What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Awake and Sober Podcast, a podcast about life and recovery through Christ. Yeah, buddy. Mm. Yahweh. Yahweh. The Lord of Lords. Yes. Jesus. Our number one sponsor. Jesus, yes. And then our number two sponsor is... Tactile Turn. TactileTurn.com. Well, it's not .com, but yes, you could go there if you want. Just Tactile Turn. It's the second sponsor. Jesus is the first. Tactile Turn the second. Okay. And go to TactileTurn.com to get your pins. Enter Sober 15 at checkout. Yeah. In the cart, actually, because I did it today. Did you? Yeah. Because somebody was wondering how they could get it and i was like this is how you do it and i showed him and boom right then and there yeah sober 15 15 off done need it nice. i like it i wish i could get so uh 15 <clears throat> off my order today order three nitros and then a bunch of other stuff i got no nope. we're gonna have to fight for one of those nitros yes uh, i heard I'll arm wrestle have you. To, i heard that there was two people that's probably gonna have to fight over one i'll arm wrestle all it's yes. pretty easy for me to get it because i ordered it so to come to my address you work out. yeah that might be a competition yeah how does that work mike <laughs> i'm the smallest out of everyone so so um, you should get one automatically yeah <laughs> nah. are we going to talk about uh what we're what doing we're going to talk about today yeah, what, what are we talking about today? about today i think we're going to interview a, a fella who, a fella who did an interview before, but it kind of didn't pan out it correctly. Was he had a he had a m- broken microphone. Yeah, from the move that we had done the day before, yes. the week before. Yes. I so KCT, KCT. What's up, everybody? Thanks for having hey. me again, Hi, guys. Hey. Ladies and gentlemen, Casey Kaysen. Nobody remembers Casey Kaysen. Casey Kaysen, you pronounced it wrong. He was the voice of Shaggy. Was he? Yes, he was. Oh, yes, he was. Yeah, he was, he was, he was the original voice of Shaggy. Yeah. Yeah. How did we do? Where are How you? did I pronounce it wrong? Casey Kasem. Kasem. Oh, who cares? At America's Top 40. America's Top 40. Every Saturday at 9 a.m. I remember from a kid. And now, (laughs) here's a letter. (laughs) (laughs) And it sounds like him, too. Yeah, yeah, he did. That's good. Yeah, we do need to do something with that mic over there. Is it not working? No, so it is for you, but maybe twist it a little bit. Twist it. So it's, yeah. Well, squeeze the little thing. Squeeze it. Up and down. Squeeze it. Now, How about now? Ooh, uh, that's yeah. much better. That's only because he spoke up. He put a little bass in his voice. Speaking loud the whole damn time. You have oh, not. Dang. <laughs> we got to be. We do have a beat. We got to be. Hey, so Casey, we're glad you're here. <laughs> Hang on, dude. I just looked over at Shane and he was putting a mouthful of food. In. Hey, boys got to eat. Jeez. First off, you know, before we Shane was going. doing stuff when, when Christina brought down all the food. So I'm going to. I just didn't expect it, man. That's yeah. all. That yeah, was good. First off, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We are on every podcast platform. We got new shows coming out every single Wednesday. Wednesday. New one Wednesday. dropping today, correct? New one dropping today. Awesome. It would have been out already if I didn't go play pickleball earlier. Oh, my gosh. There you go. I see, mean, I figured. See what pickleball does for us? Nothing. It does for me. It well, does, does for you. Yeah, I mean, it's 35 pounds down. I got a picture of you today. Did you? Yeah, yeah I bet you did. So me and your boy were Yeah. Ryan Howard. Ryan, yeah. 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 I bring him on one of these days. He's all right. He's all right? He's all right. I mean. I played against him and his daddy in pickleball today. Who won? They beat me and my partner. Mm. And then I learned how his dad plays, and I don't think his dad could ever beat us again. Uh, because he hammers it, and whenever he hammers it, it's always out. Mm. So you just got to move. You got to be quick, though, like Matrix. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Giggles is back, hey, man. God. Y'all drug test at your work? Yeah. You can drug test me any day of the week. I am not ashamed. I will drop any t- I'll drop right now. I ain't scared. No, you ain't no, dropping nothing right now. So anyway, Casey, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, brother. Thank you for asking. How are you doing, Jeremy? I'm good. I'm good. I'm supposed to ask, how is your soul? I can't swear on this, huh? I almost did. No. Um, that's a loaded question to just pop on someone right off the rip. My soul is cleaner than it ever has been however i mean i don't know i'll tell you something where that question took me in my brain is actually my soul is as clean as it's ever been and i'm moving towards being a christian which is the craziest thing i think i've ever said out loud before but i think that is why my soul feels cleaner 
I've been doing esteemable acts. I've been actually working a program this time around in recovery, and I don't know. I feel lighter, I guess. He's going to drop, how's your soul on somebody, though? It's, <laughs> it's the actually first been question. a while since we've heard that question. Is yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. only reason I remembered it was because when we took up cigar or pipe smoking the other day, because mm-hmm. it's delicious, he asked me, that's why you always ask, well, how's your soul? And I'm like, we haven't asked that in a while. No, yep. we haven't. It's such a good question, though, because it gets past, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm right. okay. Or then Derek would be like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Well, how's your soul, man? How you been doing, Jeremy? <laughs> I'm good. My soul is, uh, <laughs> uh, my soul is uh, content. Content. I like it. Yeah. It's oh, I didn't just... know you could give half-ass answers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, Casey. Like I said, we got a beeper. <laughs> okay. Beep. Right, my bad. That'll so, be the last, so why do you say, be the last one. Well, why would you say half-ass? Because you just said content. That's a one-word answer. How's that different than how you're doing good? Uh, because content can mean a lot of good things, actually. So I could be content in joy. I could be content in pain. I could be content in sorrow. I could be content in a lot of things. And that's really hard to be. So if he says he's content, but is in content in what? Yeah. Describe your contentment, Jeremy. There we go. In Make him take a deeper. Yes. I didn't ask you. Whatever. Plot twist. <laughs> um, <laughs> he did a good job. He, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, every I, I'm literally at peace with all the chaos that's going on in my life, which it's chaos all the time. But I'm at peace with everything. And so, like, I'm just content. Like, it is what it is. Today, the electrician was supposed to show up because we haven't had a washer or dryer for two months. Need to replace our electrical panel. Yeah, you've been stinky. Been going back and forth with this guy. 7 a.m. today. 7.30, still not there. So, my wife calls me freaking out. Hey, can you give him a call? Call him, he doesn't answer. Text him. And he's like, I apologize. Now, before, I probably would have lost my shiz, Right? But I didn't. I'm like, he's like, I'll be there tomorrow. I'm like, sounds good. Thanks for getting back to me so soon. Like, I'm good. Like, it is what it is. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. How's your soul, Mike? I me? feel. I feel. Soul? I feel something going on inside of you. Like what? I don't know. Are you about to perform an exorcism? I know. Just thinking the no. same thing. <laughs> you just, you're just not. I don't know. No, I just wanted to get going. And we we did, took a while. It's okay. 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 We had a so, lot to move around. We did have a lot to move around. Setup. Yeah. It's always it's always um, difficult when you're adding new things and you know. But uh, soul wise, the last few weeks have been really really tough. Um, I mean, if anybody watches the episode from last week, you'll understand that we were mm. all going through some things a little bit. Um, but. I'm getting to a point to where I'm coming out of that kind of downswing where um, I wasn't doing the right thing and my soul was definitely paying the price. Hmm. Um, I'm getting to, I'm getting to a point of contentment um, or content. Um, I'm getting to a point of more peace. Um, But I also know that that is, that can be fickle. And that can go away at any time. That can change up very, very quickly. So um, right now, um, I'm just trying to be present. You know, I'm trying to take it all in and not freak out. You're doing good. Thank you. Mike's been thumbing a thesaurus lately because yesterday he took me to work and it was foggy, dreary out. And he goes, what a doldrum of a day. <laughs> so you clearly... Looked up the word. Clearly, look up TikTok videos of big words. I don't have TikTok. <laughs> Webster's relevant word of the day. I don't have that. No, it's a doldrum. It's dark and dreary doldrum. So, did you need to say both or, or I, all those words? No, or? I just said what a doldrum of a drive. It's oh. it's gross. I can't I can't take you seriously. <laughs> I was taken aback when he said it. He even went. He goes. I got wow. That was. <laughs> That's like a perfect word for right now. That encapsulates this day beautifully. Yeah, yeah. Encapsulate. Giggles, how is your soul? Content. 
I'm oh, all, come I'm, on, get off. No, 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 no. For real, though, like, uh, I don't want to just be like, you know, I'm good and all, but I had a tough day yesterday. Like, dude, I broke. I'm not going to lie. But then uh, <clears throat> something was said to me, and the way I took and I took it, and I come to realize they were right, and I need to start looking at it more like that. When days go wrong with what I do in my position, I feel like, man, what could I have done different? What could I, you know, I want to keep blaming myself, but. A lot of times, it's not my fault. It's not how I presented it. It's not how I carried myself. It's just, I don't want to be like the person on the other side of that phone's a jerk, but, you know, sometimes it gets to be that way. It's not always my fault. It ain't my fault. I don't I can't. I don't have to blame myself. I don't have to take it out on myself. I don't have to feel bad because somebody didn't get approved. Mm. You know, I'm not there to sit there and hustle somebody yeah. and stuff. It's not my fault. And ever since I've started, I took that in and that I just become more content with what I'm doing. You know, it ain't my fault. I do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> About time. Yep. That's About time. Yo, yo, yo. You ain't getting out of this. How's your soul? Man, beautiful. Let me tell you, it has been a complete 180 for me. Um, I know for a fact that meds are kicked in pretty well. I have more energy. I have more everything lately. Um, it's back to being a a wonderful life. I got a great wife upstairs. Made us awesome dinner real oh, quick. And so I mean, thank you, Christina. Shout out thank to Christina you. for Phenomenal. dinner. Woo. So good. See what happens when Shane's head is right. Charita. Christina, I ain't got to worry. And she's just going to cook for us real quick. And Mama's happy. Down. Yeah. Mama's happy. Yeah. I'm not being a jerk. Um, I like to look at myself in the mirror again. You know, for a long time, I, I, I was back to that. I don't want to see myself. I hated myself, and you know, way past it now. Now just watch our world. We're coming. Oh, watch it. Look it out now. Watch out now. Watch, watch it. What you going to ask? I don't have any questions. Oh, I thought you were going to ask something. <clears throat> oh, we got some questions for yeah, you, though. Yeah, now that we do. Yeah. This is what we're doing here today. We're having an interview with Casey. Casey, what was you born, and how was your life like growing up? I was born January 7th, 1995, on a oh cool gosh. Saturday morning. I remember Don't that. Don't bring it out of me, Jeremy. I'm not allowed <laughs> to say bad things. Um, but I was born, I was the third child of um, two parents who who definitely, you know, fancied the drink. But uh, I was far younger than my brother and sister, so that uh, that posed some, some different, like... Uh, Growing pains, I guess you would say. It was also awesome, though, because I got to have an older brother and sister that were there. I got to have, I always looked at them as teammates in my childhood, like they were my teammates. We always did everything together. Um, they picked on their younger brother the way older siblings generally do. And But, I mean, I was very happy to have them in my life. And we lived in something I took for granted. When I was born, we lived in O'Fallon, but then we very shortly after moved to Lake St. Louis because we needed more room. And something I took for granted all my life was getting to grow up in Lake St. Louis and, like, what an amazing freaking area it is and how much there always was to do. And, you know, between playing golf down the street or playing tennis down the street, now playing pickleball down the street from my mom's house growing up and having a baseball field that was, like, baseball was my number one outlet my whole life and, uh, truthfully, probably the biggest love of my life up to, I don't know, up until a couple of years ago really baseball was my number one love and it was my number one loss whenever I lost my career to play but growing up in Lake St. Louis was amazing having my family members as dysfunctional of a scene as we were from time to time wouldn't trade any of it for the world so what do you mean by um, it was your greatest love until a couple of years ago so I I met a girl um, I don't want to get into how too much because clients might watch this but um, I met a girl and um, we have a child on the way and just, I, I already was in love with her and having my child inside of her, I don't know, it, it changed my whole perspective on everything in the world. Like the moment I found out that she was pregnant, I remember thinking, dude, you got to start working out. You need to live forever. You need to be there because the, losing my dad when I was 22, it just, I don't know. I was just like, I, you can't leave your kid. You got to make sure you live forever. You got to start getting your stuff together, man. And uh, just knowing that she's carrying our child, and I don't know. I've never felt anything like it before. 
right on. Mm. So I know you were, I know you were very involved in sports, and as a fellow um, youngest of three, being the baby, um, with you know, there, with that comes kind of certain pressures and whatnot. Um, you ever disappointed or give up on a childhood dream? Yeah, all of them. Every single one I gave up on. Uh, actually, and I didn't even give up on it. I just decided to pursue drugs and alcohol full time. Really, um, my first true love was baseball, and I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I was actually pretty gifted too, just naturally. Um, I was able to be pretty talented as a shortstop. I ended up being all conference, all district as a senior, junior, and senior in high school. Um, I crapped away any opportunity I would have had going to a Division One school. All this. All the coaches for Division One schools were like, "What's your GPA? We'd love to, you know, we love the way you play the game. We love your style, your ability. Um, what's your GPA?" I would tell them what it was, which was one six, and um, that was generally where they'd say, "Cool, go to JUCO for a couple of years, prove that you're serious about getting good grades, and you know, if you're still playing ball, we'll take a look at you." So I ended up going to JUCOs, which didn't really pan out. Um, another big love of mine was comedy. I love stand up. I still love stand up comedy to this day. I pursued it a couple of different times. Um, always gave up on it though, out of fear of failure. When I was 18, I had an opportunity because of my acting teacher. It's funny, when I was in school, I didn't want to talk about how I was in acting. I was really embarrassed of it. And uh, I wasn't in plays or musicals because of that. But my acting teacher got me um, an audition for Second City in Chicago. And I was too afraid to get on the bus and go when I was by, like 17, 18. I was too afraid to get on the bus and go down there and pursue that. But I was the captain of the improv team, which is something I've said out loud very few times. <laughs> yeah, I don't because, think we heard that last time. Uh-uh. I, I very rarely talk about it because I was so embarrassed of it at the time that I loved that acting theater stuff so much. I thought it was so effeminate. And honestly, the people in my life weren't afraid to tell me that they thought it was effeminate too. And if I wanted to be in something, it would have had to have been a musical because the plays were during baseball season and you boys not singing in front of that many people. So I didn't want to do that. But I was captain of the improv team, and it was actually the only way that I passed my senior year of high school was that I made a deal with my theater teacher that I would be uh, the captain of the improv team if he passed me so I could play baseball. But one of my largest regrets and letdowns to myself is not pursuing that and wondering what would have happened had I done it and baseball. So I got to ask, you could sing? Not incredibly well. Okay. I was just wondering, I mean, the way you made it sound is like you could sing, but you just weren't going to do it. Uh, I can't sing that well. Okay. I'm sure the guys have heard me singing around work different times. I'm just really kind of confused when he's talking about this improv comedy stuff, and I ain't heard him be funny since the day I met him. That's what I'm just saying. I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, what's going on here? <laughs> first into that one. <clears throat> I make him laugh constantly. <laughs> that's that's not saying much. That dude laughs at everything. I laugh at everything. Yeah. So, come on. You fart Derek laughs. Everybody likes, a, everybody likes a fart joke. Damn, you said to say it. That's what I'm saying. He, he laughs at everything. He, that's Mr. Giggles. He's too easy. So you, you talked about <clears throat> your childhood a little bit in, in, in high school. So when did, when did drugs and alcohol into your life? Like how old were you? What happened? So drugs kind of came into my life. I think I was 13 or 14 and I started smoking weed. Um, you know, my, it was a little bit of a dysfunctional household from time to time. Um, I started smoking weed with my brother-in-law, actually, at the time. Or he wasn't my brother-in-law yet. But uh, I started smoking weed when I was either 13 or 14, and it very quickly became an everyday thing for me uh, because I don't really have a drug and alcohol problem. I have a coping problem. And uh, alcohol was the first thing that I leaned... Or, I mean, marijuana was the first thing I leaned on to try and cope. Uh, coming from a family that excelled in alcohol consumption I was very fearful of that and I didn't want to step into that I always said I'll never be an alcoholic I'll never be an alcoholic until I became one eventually I abused everything else I could get my hands on before I could get alcohol so I remember in high school like raiding different friends parents uh, bedside drawers and stuff looking for different pills and just mixing them together not having any idea what I was doing and then eventually when I was a senior in high school, uh, my dad got in a really bad car accident. 
and um, he passed away. That was the first time he passed away. He passed away a couple of times, and they brought him back. But that was the first time he did. And I remember when uh, he was going to stop drinking because of the accident. You know, it was going to be the thing that saved my family's life. And whenever he got out and started drinking again, I was I let go of hope. I denounced God. I hated the world. Um, and it wasn't until recently that I started exploring faith again. But whenever all that went down, it was, uh, I don't know, it was a tough go for me. And I had a girlfriend at the time who wanted to drink with me casually. Like she didn't, she never had a problem. She's actually very successful to this day and owns her own company. But she was like, why don't we drink together? I'd like to be the first person you drink with. And I said, okay. And I drank with her that night, relatively normal night. The very next day, um, I was by myself in my parents' house. My dad was still in the hospital and I poured their pop-off vodka into a Gatorade bottle. And I didn't realize that like a 20 ounce Gatorade bottle is an awful lot of vodka for someone to drink. So I downed it and was blackout drunk. I don't remember much except for waking up the next day and deducing that I had peed on myself. And it was because I pulled down my pants outside on the side of the house. I didn't want my parents to know, or I didn't want my mom to know I was drunk. So I pulled down my pants on the side of the house and went pee, but I forgot to lift up my shirt. So I peed all over my shirt and slept in it. And I cracked that code when I woke up. I drank alcoholically <laughs> almost immediately. And it was to cope with uh, with some difficulties in my life at the time. I want to just say thank you for bringing up the fact that, you know, your dad had passed a couple times because I still really got, you said it was your senior year and you just said earlier that you were 22. So I'm like, yeah. dude, what? Yeah, Nobody was, else caught that? He was resilient. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He he passed away a few times, and in fact, the last time when they were like, "Hey, man, you really need to say goodbye to your dad," I was like, "I've done that a couple of times. You guys are gonna save him. Don't worry, you'll mm-hmm. fix him up." And he actually had gotten an opportunity. To, I don't. I didn't realize this at the time, but when I was 22, the last time I took him to the hospital, he actually was saying goodbye to me as I was going to get him a wheelchair. He knew he was dying, and I had no idea. I was like, "They're gonna save you. Quit being weird. Don't talk about your feelings towards me. It's, we're gonna be fine." But then whenever I came back with the wheelchair, he was gone. And his last words to me were, Casey, I love you. I'm proud of you. Take care of your mother. And I was just like, whoops. What are you talking about? You're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And then when I came back with the wheelchair, he was just comatose. I never got to talk to him again. But I got to have that moment with him, which is something that I am very, very grateful for. It is a good, not a good way, but a good way. Yeah. It was under the circumstances. I think it was the best thing. Yeah, but a lot of burden to leave you with too, though. Yeah, and I carried that. Yeah. I carried that an awful lot. Um, I wasn't always the best at being there for my mom. Uh, I lived with her all the time, but you know that was an active addiction. When my dad passed, I really put my foot on the gas pedal. I remember that night I had taken quite a few uh, alprazolam or something. I don't know some goofball benzo, and uh, I had taken quite a few of them, and I had drank two pints the night that he passed and I was on my way home in my sister's old green Saturn. It probably had expired plates. Um, <laughs> I was driving like 90 miles an hour on the way home and I got pulled over by a cop drunk and on Xanax or whatever type of benzo it was. And my sister came running after them because she knew. So she was running after the cop and she was like, no, please don't. Our dad just died. Our dad just died. And the guy just poked his head in the window and said, drive home safe. Keep it under 70. Wow. Pretty lucky. Where were you at? St. Peter's. Where were you? That's I mean, a double wild then. But yeah, because I'm like, you said keep it under 70. Where was yeah. you driving at? I was driving on Highway 70, headed west, in about at the 370 exit. And your sister was running down. She ran down the highway at 70 miles an hour. <laughs> she, she her and her and her husband at the time were behind us, driving okay. in the other car that they owned at the time. <laughs> And Krista got out of the car and started sprinting at him. Good. And I was like, you're going to get shot later. That's what I, I was thinking. Like, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, you just said, you don't keep it under 70. Your sister was running up to the car. I'm like, what? I was, I was fully like, I'm going to prison. I don't care. I don't give, I don't care at all about anything right now, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, that hit the whole family pretty hard. It did. We were all ready, but we weren't ready. Hmm. We can never be ready. Yeah. I mean, no matter how much time we have to prepare, it still don't take away the pain. It don't take away the loss. Don't take away that hole in the family. 
Well, and that's something we didn't, like I didn't think about was that void that it left. Right. Because him passing and getting over that was one thing, but the lack of his presence was monumental. So you shared that at, at, that was kind of a tipping point for you. Oh, yeah. Right? So how long after that did you realize, I, I, I have a problem, maybe I need to get help? I knew in the moment if I was being honest with myself. But I didn't want help. I knew that it was a problem. I knew that I was an alcoholic. But I thought that was a badge of honor at the time still. And I went on for four years until I was like, okay, I'm in a really dark place. One day I looked up. It was that gradual descent. One day I looked around and I was like, dude, you're 26. You're living in your mom's house. You don't really pay her any bills anymore. Um, You just get drunk all day. You mooch off of her. You're supposed to be here taking care of her and just started to turn on myself and was like, you, man, look at yourself. You could have been a Division One athlete. You could have been potentially a, an improv comedy star with Second City, and who knows what could have happened where you would have gone from there. And it just, everything, my whole world turned really, really dark. And how old were you when that happened? 26, you 26. said? 26. Yeah. 26 stuff got really, really dark, and I knew that it was either get help the way my sister did and had proven to me that it was possible that Thomasons could get sober if they wanted to if they had the drive to do it. And uh, it was either that or take my life, because that's where I was at. And I remember the day that it happened, I was, I had just gone out of town with my brother to like some goofball Airbnb in the middle of nowhere where we were all hanging out. And on the, we came back and I had given myself alcohol poisoning or something. I was drinking to try and keep things down so I could function throughout the day, but I ended up getting so drunk and I was supposed to pick my mom up from work that night. And I got in my truck, backed up, hit the mailbox, and was like, oh, you can't drive. So I tried to order her an Uber, and I couldn't figure out how to operate the Uber app because I was too under the influence. And uh, I called Krista and just started begging her, like, please, please help me. Please take me somewhere. She actually got a hold of Shane that night, and Shane found a way to get me into the aviary, which they can't get rid of me now, man. Uh, I've been there. Well, I, that was the first time. I didn't stay sober that time. That one didn't take. I wanted to. <laughs> that one didn't take. So that one didn't take or Casey didn't take. Yeah. Which one is that? Well, I didn't want to be sober. I wanted to learn how to control my drinking. Um, I wanted to pick and choose still. Like I wanted this stuff of recovery sounded really nice. That stuff sounded weak and I didn't care about that. I didn't want to do that. I wasn't willing to do that. I didn't need to do that. Did it sound weak or did it sound too hard or what? Well, it was way too hard, but I, Casey would say that it was weak back then. Just so that way you could cover yourself? Uh, it's soft. It's stupid. Right. I don't need that. That's for weak people. I don't need help. I can do this on my own. Wrong. And then, way wrong. <laughs> I learned a couple more times, too. That you yeah, I was about to say, anyway. there was probably a couple more times in there. Oh, yeah. How many times? I've relapsed two, two times after leaving, or two times after leaving treatment. Um, I've tried to get sober a lot of times on my own, just different little run-ins with it. And then I would pick and choose, okay, well, I'll still do this. Uh, Okay, well, I'll still try and use this. And the last time that I relapsed was August 27th, 2022. Um, Was my last, like, relapse, I guess. I was working at the aviary at the time. Um, I went from being a recovery coach to then moving to being the brick house manager and being in charge of the sober living house. And then I went to admissions. And I had stopped going to meetings entirely. I had never gotten a sponsor throughout that time in recovery. Entirely stopped going to meetings. The only thing that I was getting for my recovery was from counseling the guys at the brick house and running groups at the brick house. That was my only engagement with recovery and how I was filling my cup in any way. And then I moved to admissions where I was at a desk all day, which I hated. I hate sitting at my desk now when I have to. Um, I even went on a walk with a client today so I didn't have to sit at my desk for a one-on-one. Smart move. But um, I went to admissions. I didn't enjoy the job very much. It wasn't. It just wasn't for me. And it's nothing against admissions or what they do. They're, they're great at what they do, too, actually, at the aviary. And it just wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed talking to other addicts face-to-face and trying to help people get through things I got through or troubleshoot stuff with them, help them get where they want to go. 
and in admissions, I just wasn't doing the same thing. Um, then I helped. So I'm moving out right back to the callback to my dad saying, take care of your mom. I'd been living with her up to this point. And now I'm with Brianna. Um, I'm ready to move out and move in with her and start our life together. But I was like, man, dad, give me a sign. Just give me a sign that it is okay to leave mom. Now I'm already moving my stuff into the apartment. And I looked at my phone and it was the five year anniversary of my dad's death. And I was like, you left your mom. Everything crashed in. That was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Or looking back on it, that was all that was. Because everything had been mounting up and mounting up. But when I saw my phone and that I left my mom, boom, that was all I needed. And I looked at the kit or I looked at the bathroom countertop and I was crying and I saw my mouthwash sitting there. I had never thought about drinking it before. It never even crossed my mind. Even in the moment I didn't really think about it. I opened it, put it in my mouth, swished it around, swallowed it. And I felt the warmth go down my body. And I knew that if I kept drinking it, it would kill that feeling immediately. And I didn't have to hate myself anymore. So, mouthwash was my drug of choice for about 10 days. I was telling Mike on the way here, actually, because we passed this Dollar General. There's a Dollar General on the highway on 61 South, Mm -hmm. heading home from the aviary. I would pop in that Dollar General for 10 days in a row and get the off-brand mouthwash, because Listerine was too ritzy for my blood, I guess. (laughs) And I would drink the off-brand mouthwash and then get home, put it on the counter, and drink it. Mike asked me on the way here, like, why didn't you just get real liquor? And it was because some of those lies that we tell ourselves. I was like, this isn't First of all, I could justify that mouthwash wasn't a relapse in my head. I just really give a hoot about my oral hygiene, you know? Um, But looking back, I didn't have to hide it anywhere. I could put it right on the bathroom Mm -hmm. counter. I didn't have to worry about my breath smelling like it. I didn't have to worry about someone watching me purchase it. I didn't have to worry about anything except for getting caught swallowing it. Here's what's crazy, though. I'm driving Cora home, and she straight up said, my uncle has a problem with mouthwash. Oh, uh, she it's, saw me. It, she's your, she's your niece. She's my oldest niece. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's also the closest person to me in the whole world. Um, but she saw me. We were going to Deerberg's one day. We were going to go to Deerberg's one day. I remember the exact moment that this happened because she saw me and goes, "Did you swallow that?" And I was like, "Yeah," trying to brush it off, like get in the back of the throat, you know. But yeah, that that latched on, and she knew, and I knew that she knew. Yeah, and she came to me immediately as soon as I was driving her home from youth. Yeah. yeah. Cora came up and said, My dad's doing it. He's got a problem with mouthwash now. Uncle. 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 Yeah. Well, dad. Yeah, uncle. I don't know why I always say that, too. That ain't the first time. But um, just because Cora loves you to death. I just seen her the other night at wrestling. She's awesome, man. Yeah. She's a cool kid, man. Love her to death. She made senior, uh, or she made varsity softball as a freshman, too. I was so proud of her. <laughs> and that don't surprise me at all. <clears throat> So and she'll do that all four years. One hundred percent. Kick that butt all four years, Cora. We love you. And that little girl can bake a cake, man. Let me tell you, when I was Dude. struggling with the passing of my brother, that little girl made me a cake. Set it on my didn't want to didn't want to leave it with me, but she looked with, set it on my porch and says, "Hey, there's a cake on your porch for you." Yeah, she's good, man. I'm like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> so she what, texted, well, I did. I crushed it. <laughs> she texted me the other day out of the blue. Miss you. I'm like, man, you'll bring a tear to a, a guy's eye, girl. You better quit that. She wants to be a counselor or a therapist when she She'll gets older. She'll be a darn good one. Mm-hmm. She'll be a darn good one. So what happened that got you back into the program or in the program like you are now, which is different than you've ever done it before? Uh, the gift of desperation and some great friends. Um, the gift of desperation, though, was something that had always been fleeting in me. Every time I wanted to get sober, I, I was super desperate until I cleared up. And then when I cleared up, my pride and ego came back as strong as ever. And I would just walk away and turn my back on everything that had worked for me. Now I call it taking my spiritual medicine because I would get to feeling better. I'd be like, I don't need the meeting. I feel better. I don't need a sponsor. I feel better. I'd be like, well... The reason that I feel better is because I've been doing those things and being conscious of that and taking my spiritual medication is the only the only way that I can keep my demons away. Mm-hmm. But specifically, um, I, I had an impromptu intervention held for me because I'd relapsed on mouthwash for a while, but then I actually 
someone, Brianna, called Jeremy because I was honest with Brianna, and I was just breaking down crying in what's now is going to be my son's room. And I was just bawling in this room. She said, what is going on with you? I said, I relapsed. And I don't know what to do because I can't be honest. And she called Jeremy and put it on speaker and was just like, do you want to tell him or do you want me to tell him? And I was like, I have to tell him because he will not respect me if you're the one who tells him. So I told Jeremy what had happened. Jeremy said, my dad's chairing a meeting tonight. Go up to the 212 Club. I was supposed to go to Shinedown with him that night. You guys were talking about the concert that uh, Mm -hmm. Jelly Roll performed at with Shinedown. I was supposed to be there with Jeremy that night. And I was not because I needed to go to that meeting. And I remember sitting down and I was next to a former client of the aviary who was so excited to see me. And I was so bummed to see him Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I did not want to face the reality of my situation. So I sat there and I didn't share. I just shut up and I sat there. And then about a week later, one of my best friend's weddings in uh, Branson was going on and I didn't want to miss my best friend's wedding and I was like I'll be fine I went to his bachelor party I didn't drink I didn't use any drugs and there were drugs and alcohol and you know I did just whatever um so I went to the wedding and it did not take long for my brain I got through the rehearsal dinner urges just gnawing at me and Jeremy had said multiple times call me when you need to and Mike did too actually and I didn't ever call urges and triggers were at me all weekend And I let my brain talk for long enough to where it got me and it convinced me because I didn't call another alcoholic and I didn't call another addict. And looking back, I am kind of glad that I didn't now, which is crazy to say, but I didn't call anyone. And my brain finally got me at the reception and said, you already relapsed. You got back on track before. You can do it again. Drink tonight. No one's going to blame you. And then I drank. And all my friends were like, we don't care if you drink, man. We just don't want to be the reason that you relapsed. Mm. And I was like, no, 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 don't worry about anything, guys. It's my life. I'll figure it out. You know, I'm fine. I'm an adult. I actually already relapsed last week, so it's not even that big of a deal. Whatever I could say to get away with it. I'll stop tomorrow. And I woke up, and tomorrow came. And I scoured the home for all the airplane bottles of Fireball. I drank them all before anyone woke up. I had stayed up all night, by the way, drinking Tito's vodka by myself on the couch in the basement just because I was like, this is going to be the last time you ever drink. And didn't stop. I kept going. And then we were getting in the car to go home. And I said, hey, I got to go take a dump at the gas station. We stop. And they were like, yeah. So I went in and I got some Parmesan garlic combos to mask the scent of my breath and a bunch of fireball shooters so I could rip them in the backseat when they weren't looking. I got home, I picked a fight with Brianna, so I didn't have to go home, and then Brie was basically like, well, I'm going to relapse, and I was like, no, you're not. So I ran over there and just ended up relapsing with her, which was horrible. And uh, Monday morning came around, I'm supposed to be in admissions, the only person in the world outside of Brianna that knows is Jeremy at this point, and I have a choice where I can either throw up, call into work, Or I can rip the shots that are in the freezer still and go into work and function with alcohol in me. Or I could call and be honest. And I called uh, the director of admissions crying, just like, hey, I messed up. And uh, apologizing profusely. She offered help. I said, no, I don't need it. I can do this on my own. I can get back on track. And then the head of HR calls me and was like, Hey, do you need help? We can send you somewhere. I was like, no, I can, I got this. I can do this on my own. I called Mike. I called Joe Lowry. I called Jeremy, um, just to out myself and talk about it, be honest with people. And then the CEO called me and was like, Hey, I can get you somewhere. You, you just, you know, if you need to go somewhere, I can get you in somewhere for free in Arizona. It's not a big deal. We can get you there. And I said, no, I can do it on my own. And then two, Surly bearded gentleman (laughs) showed up on my front porch of the apartment. I know them. Yeah, dude. A big old former cop and a big old Jesus freak show up at my doorstep. And I was immediately startled. I'm sure that they could probably tell. And I sat crisscross appies on the corner of this couch while these two gentlemen coerced me into going... To treatment. And uh, I remember the last thing that I said to Jeremy before. He said, I'll be here at 3 a.m. to pick you up. He had already got my flight for me. And he knew that that was, I couldn't 
get out of that. I was definitely going. But the last thing I said to Jeremy and Shane was, I hope you guys know I'm not doing this for me. And Jeremy looked at me and goes, yeah. Yeah, I'm not proud of that one. It is true, though. Jeremy looked at me and said, I don't care why you go. You'll remember why you're there when you get there. And he was right. And that was a brutal experience. Um, through and through, it was the most humbling experience I've ever had in my life for a lot of reasons. I used to teach a lot of this stuff that they were telling me in this place. And it was very humbling to know that I'm not immune to anything. I'm not some white knight on a hill that can just save other people. I am someone who needs to take a spiritual medication every day to be good to anyone in my life. I believe we hit below the belt that night, too. Though. Oh, we did a little. Because I used Carson and Cora for sure. We definitely did that. You had to. Yeah, without a doubt, whatever, I didn't care what takes. we were gonna do. Yeah. We were gonna throw low blows, and we we're gonna. And so last week, when you were talking, Mike, in the episode that's getting ready to come out, and they said it, like the Kool Aid Man, they'd come busting in the door. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Just have us show up at your house. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need. I didn't know Kool Aid Man had a beard. I, I remember thinking. Now. I remember. I remember that night very well, and I remember thinking, "This isn't the Casey I know." And then what it reminded me of. And I think I talked to Shane about this. Like, that's how I acted. Because I was not a night. Like, you weren't the kindest soul that night. No, I was furious that you guys were there. Oh, yeah. It yeah, was, I was great. Written all over your, your face. And I was like, man, that would have been the same way I would have responded. See, I'm proud of you, though. You stuck around. Yeah. I jumped out of a car mm-hmm. when they came to do it at my house on my way to treatment. I'm like, here, let's go. And then I just jumped out of the car. Not today. Not today, Satan. <laughs> so I'm proud of you because you. so many people try to walk out. I mean, we wouldn't have let you walk out the door, but yeah. so many people try to walk out and walk away, and you you sat there and took it because you know you needed to take mm-hmm. it. I had an, understand that, an understanding at that time that if I walked away from you guys, I was walking away from the aviary, I was walking away from all the progress that I had made over the last year and a half. Even though it, you know, I hadn't worked the program, I had grown a lot through that year and a half. I was going to walk away from all that. I was going to walk away from the aviary. I was going to walk away from my friendships with you guys. I was going to go straight back to being that miserable guy. I was going to, Bree wasn't going to have me there. I was going to go back to my mother's home and transport myself straight back to my original rock bottom and then descend from there way further. So, yeah, you guys got me. You guys ended up, truthfully, in a lot of... I was not going to get help. I was going to try and do it on my own, and it was going to be to no avail. Yeah. So you've talked about, you know, relationships with friends and um, some of the people that did help you, right? Um, What would you say... What is your experience, you know, with addiction and recovery, obviously? Um, What advice would you give to someone or the loved ones of someone still struggling? Let them hit their bottom. It's going to be hard. It's gonna be. It's gonna feel borderline impossible if you, especially if you love them, but you can't be the safety net that keeps them from hitting their rock bottom because you will keep them sick forever, and you will be a reason why they are sick. You won't be. You won't be to blame. That's not what I'm saying, but you will act as a net that catches them before they hit their rock bottom. You'll have a role in it, though. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was one of the greatest things I ever heard, and we talked about it at your last interview. Was let them hit the ground first. Yeah. You could offer them a hand up afterwards, but let them hit and bounce a couple times if they need to. It'll be all right. It'll yeah, let okay. them try and start getting up on their own. Yeah. And you could you could offer a hand. Don't bend all the way down. Let them let them still reach up to get you. Or you could just be from the corner. Here's how I got up. <laughs> Put your right foot down. <laughs> it's kind of painful though. Wow. We we call it making the world small, right? Yeah. Make their world small and make them see that they need to change. Yeah, and that made me uh, respect my sister more than probably anything. And she's she's done a lot of things. She's overcame a lot of things in her life. She's done a lot of very respectable and commendable things throughout her lifetime. But her little brother, and I know how much she loves me, and she, to a huge part, a huge extent, played my mother's role in my life, you know, half of the time. Mm-hmm. So watching me descend that way could not have been easy. It couldn't have been easy to not get in there and say something well before she did, especially with how mean I was to her when she stopped drinking. And she just sat back and waited and waited. And it was the absolutely right thing to do because if anyone tried to tell me what to do, it was going to be bad. 
But specifically, if Krista did it, it would have created so much separation between me and what she wanted. So she sat back there and she watched me descend for years. And she was so happy when she called that night, the first time that you went in. She was, hey, he's going, he's going. Get him. And I said, cool, let's do this. Yeah. So she was not so stoked the second time. She, no, that she was not. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when they sent you away. Oh, she was furious. I was so drunk though, and I was oh god. I was heated too though. Yeah, they turned me away. Um, but I remember walking up like I own the place. Like you guys think that I'm a, a lot now. When I was drunk walking up to this front porch, I was like, "What's up?" Everybody, I'm Casey. I'm run the aviary. I used to be here a couple months ago. I was shaking hands, kissing babies. I would have loved to have been there. Me too. I really would have. I wish we would have been on the flight. See, I call it shaking babies and kissing hands, but you know, however you need to say it. And then the next day when I got there, even worse, whenever I came back, I was way more drunk, and it was in the morning time. And now, I don't remember what time of day it was, but people were out back playing wiffle ball, and I was like, I was a great baseball player. Let me get over here. <laughs> I couldn't hit a volleyball. It was bad. And I was talking about how great I was, which is really, really upsetting. But you were trying. <laughs> yeah. I tried my best. Huh. You, you were that guy. And failed. <laughs> I tried so hard I fell over. There was one time I probably could have swung failed. twice and yeah. still been early. <laughs> swung. <laughs> See, now there's the comedy. There it is. Yep. He could take this on the road. Yeah. It'd be good. Can't make you laugh, huh? <laughs> Man, that doesn't count, dude. I laugh all the time. What up? So what are like some misconceptions about recovery, man, and, uh, about addiction and stepping into recovery? One misconception about addiction is that um, it's a choice and your loved one is lazy or they don't care enough about you. Uh, that was something that I, I struggled with with my dad, who ended up passing of cirrhosis eventually. Um, I just was like, he doesn't love me enough to stop. It had nothing to do with him and not loving me. It was a struggle within and it was not a choice for him to pick up each day. Um, that's that's a huge misconception about addiction. Somewhere along the lines, we had a choice, and that choice was taken long, long ago for most of us. So that's one thing. And then things, every single thing that I thought about recovery was a silly misconception that the pride and ego concocted, um, that it was weak, that it was stupid, it was soft. It was dorky. Dorky was a big one for me. Look at those dorks over there, those nerds who go sober. They eat breakfast together on Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. like a bunch of dorks. Yeah, you're not kidding. That's too yeah. early. Dorks. Only nerds would be up at that time. It's true. Dude, it was Weren't crazy. Weren't you there that. last Saturday, nerd? I'm a nerd. <laughs> you wanted a free breakfast. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what it was about. And I, he was he got it, too. Did he get it? Yeah, he, he got ordered it. on the way. I've never seen anybody do it. Yeah, they had his, his food ready right. when he walked do, in the door. Do what now, Mikey? You ordered on the way. Yeah, didn't you? No. Oh, you ordered when you got there? Yeah, uh, like a normal person. No, uh, you said that I wouldn't have enough time to eat it, so I made sure I ordered ahead of time. My food was there first. It was first. ridiculous. Thank you, Jeremy, for picking up that bill. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah, all three of you guys owe. Now y'all owe Jeremy. They bet me. If I didn't show up, I had to buy all three of their breakfasts. But if I did show up, they'd buy me breakfast. Fat boy don't miss a meal. Did you go to the meeting? Yeah, I went yeah, to the meeting. went to the meeting, too. Which but, is just... but neither one of us got to stay the whole time. Yeah, because I went to work. Thank yeah, you. that's what you yeah. did. You went to work. I did. You went to work on your toilet. I, well, I did that first on my way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that why you showed up so late? Well, yes. I, yeah, because breakfast was. You told me this morning that you left. Knocking. Did you go home first? Yes, he went home. He said that nobody <laughs> oh has ever seen anybody drive up his drive. Yeah, that did fast you not before. say? Yeah, remember I put that in the text thread. I said oh, nobody's yeah, ever seen anybody gracious. drive up there. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, it was breakfast was bad. It was delicious, <laughs> it was good. but it, it was, was bad. Good, bad. Yeah, it was good, bad. Yeah, Jeremy told me that he left halfway through the meeting, and I was like, "You didn't show up until 10:30." <laughs> And I and I saw the way you drive, sir. Yes. For everyone out right? there, halfway through the meeting is not like eight thirty, so you had a couple hours at home to really pile it on. It's a forty-five yeah. minute drive. No, it's not. Not for you. I lived it. <laughs> <laughs> Poking holes in that one right away. It was oh, an it hour sucks. and a half on toilet, thirty-minute drive. Yeah, in traffic, thirty minutes. So, yeah. So anyway, have you ever had him pass you? Yeah. Driving down 61 as you're driving. I doing always your think it's a this guy, Yeah, but you drive like you're driving Miss Daisy. You don't count. That doesn't pass. matter. 
I do. He the way he came swerving around me in a car next to it. I'm like, dude, did you just pass me? <laughs> we've had some. We've had some pretty epic uh, text battles. As soon as I see him passing me, it's so not he's pretty. dipping. It's not pretty so, at all. Casey, you got a sponsor now? Yeah. You work in the steps? I am. However, hmm. I've been log jammed at step four for a while. Ah. While. Bazinga. I think we should bring him back in April. Yeah, I think so. Talk That's about good it. Good idea. Yeah. So why log jam? I, you want excuses or do you want real? No, nah, I want the real. I'm scared. Real. I'm a little bit scared. What are you scared of? Just intimidated putting all those things on paper, and my life has had a lot of different hectic twists and turns as of late that has been giving me every excuse to take my foot off the gas pedal in different situations. Let me tell you, get yourself a tactile turn pen, and it won't be so oh, scary. Yes. Oh, did you see what you did there? Oh, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Tactiledirt.com. Yeah, Enter buddy. Sober 15, get 15% off your order. That will help you. Yeah, it will. I will let you use my pen, and you tell me after a day of using my pen, are you going to own your own tactile turn pen? You know what they we are should that do? Awesome. You know what we should do? What's that? Maybe we should give them one tonight to send them with the Starters Four Step. Ooh, Ooh shoot. I like that. I've touched uh, Jeremy's pen, I've, I've picked up before, and it's like a little nightstick. It is. Yeah. That's right. And it's if dense. I, and if I handed you a stainless steel one, man, you're talking about a nightstick. It won't dent. Yeah. It'll dent what it hits. Speaking I bet of. that looks like oh, the hey. men in black flasher, too. It does. Yeah, it 100% does. <laughs> look at this real quick. We have our yeah, yeah. counter pens. You're going to leave with one today. Wait, sober. And that way you could get started on the four step. And I'm telling you, no fear, no nothing. Nothing's going to stop you. Just start writing. I've started it. I got right up to the point where uh, I was about 21. It was I started being really mean to my dad. And I got to that point, and I was like, I just put down the pen. Do you have the workbooks? I have a workbook, yeah. Okay. But, you know, your dad forgave you. Let's go back to that time in the hospital. So you could have been really mean to your dad, but look at the forgiveness your dad gave you that last day at the hospital. I couldn't forgive myself. But that's your problem. Dad already forgave you. Oh, my dad forgave me. My dad never even had to forgive me. He never wore it. He never took it in. Yeah, dad loves you too much, man. It's time to start writing. I'm going to go get his pen. I'm going to let you guys ask some more yeah. questions. This is one thing about this pen, too, man. Very fidgety. You guys aren't helping with the whole dork thing. <laughs> dork? <laughs> I mean... Casey, I was I was also once like you. Why do I need one? And then I got one, and then I got another one, and now I have three. And I uh, you can't stop. You can't stop. You can't. Yeah, they're addicts. Yeah, we are wholeheartedly. Hello. Yeah, <laughs> big time. This is big healthy. Somewhat healthy, you know. Um, so, how do you maintain your sobriety on a day to day basis now? Meditation has been huge for me. Um, prayer is something that is relatively new to me. However, I've always well, the first time I ever prayed was to my dad. Um, I didn't have any concept of higher power at the time, but I wanted to get more comfortable speaking to the universe, which was my higher power at the time, and I couldn't wrap my head around that genuinely. So, uh, But I knew if my dad could be listening to me, then he would be, so I started praying to my dad and just asking for guidance, and now that has turned into praying to God, which is, I mean, even hearing myself say it through these headphones right now is wild. I was... A couple of years ago, I was a very staunch atheist, and I wanted to disprove the existence of God every chance that I got, and I wanted to convert people into atheism, which, by the way, if you are atheist, and you're, that's your belief system, that's wonderful for you, but don't try and convert people. It's a miserable existence thinking that nothing happens after you die. And you go to nothing. Yeah, it's How horrible. do you get created from nothing and then go back to nothing, which is just like, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. No, I, I was I was there too. So yeah, it's, yeah. It doesn't. But make anyway, sense. sorry. It's a dark yeah. spot to be. It is. Yeah. Is do you feel that that is uh, the spirituality angle, the God in your life? Do you think that's playing a part in, in you maintaining your sobriety? Without a doubt, I can tell you without a doubt um, that it's it's the foundation of my entire recovery. Faith has allowed me to have hope. And without without faith, I wouldn't have hope. Without hope, I wouldn't be determined to try because um, I wouldn't care. I'd be indifferent to what happens. But that hope has come from my spirituality, has come from a faith and, and a belief in something larger than myself that I think cares. 
I think it cares about my well-being. I think it wants me to be a good person. I think it wants me to do esteemable acts. It wants me to be of service to help other people and limit their suffering in any way that I can. Um, that has been the foundation of my entire recovery. I like how you kind of touched on it. That You, you said you were an atheist. You never put God into your recovery before. It was never in your recovery plan. No. And you tried it, and something seems to be working. Well, it's not even like something that you can just say, like, try, I don't think, because faith can't be faked. But it's something where I just planted these spiritual seeds around, and I would water them daily with in different ways. It started with me believing in the universe and the way it ebbs and flows is one, and then I'd go on these nature walks and just different ways I could plant these spiritual seeds and water them. And before I know it, they started to grow. And then one day I took a Snapchat of this sunset, and I realized it was like that part in the big book played in my head where it says, then who made all of this? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was just said, I even made the Snapchat. It said, my, my relationship with a higher power is starting to look like a relationship with a God. And I it blew my own doors off that I even thought it and said it. Mm-hmm. But it was true, and I felt it. And that was the first time that I felt faith in, honestly, in my entire life. Because even when I was a kid, I didn't believe. Outside of, the, of this, uh, of your walk with your higher power, what other strengths and qualities have you picked up in your recovery? Patience. Patience has been the biggest one. Uh, especially, I mean, all addicts struggle with the quick fix, instant gratification, and things of that nature. But patience was one of my largest obstacles in recovery. It was something that I lacked tremendously, and I've been able to work on that. In fact, it's one of those things that I pray and meditate for, um, is for patience, because I, I lack it. I have it with others in spades for the most part. But I don't have it with myself, and I don't have it with the people closest to me generally. So that's something that I really wanted to work towards. Now, it's just a little funny joke. You know, Dave tells us, don't ever pray for patience. Because God won't give you patience, but he will give you something to be patient with. And that's exactly what has happened. Um, a lot of opportunities. Well, I'm like, without my higher power, the things that happened last week. So I was supposed to be on the podcast last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, the day that I was supposed to be on the podcast, my truck broke down. Whenever I was on my way home, or was that was that Wednesday that my truck broke down? No, last you, week was. No, it was Tuesday, it was Tuesday. that my truck Tuesday. broke down. Yeah, and then Wednesday. Yeah, okay. So Wednesday was the day, but uh, Tuesday my truck broke down. Um, I'm probably not gonna be able to afford to get it fixed. So it's you know that's awful. My son's gonna be here in about two weeks, and I don't have a vehicle right now. So I have to figure out what I'm doing with that. Um, Breeze had some issues with the pregnancy thus far here and there. Nothing serious. Everything looks okay. But just some different things where we've been in and out of the hospital a lot of different times. Um, So my life has been very stressful, but I've been able to manage it. Like nothing has been unmanageable. Even in times, in flashes, it'll feel unmanageable really quickly. When my truck breaks down, I'm on the side of the highway, and there's a gas station a half mile behind me. It feels unmanageable in that moment. But then I pick up the phone and I call Jeremy and I tell Jeremy what's going on with me. I tell him what I'm thinking about and he tells me exactly what my gut's telling me. Don't do that. What's it going to do? And I know what it's going to do. The first thing is going to be I go up to that gas station and I drink. The next thing is going to be jumping in front of one of those cars is going to sound like a great idea. Because that's where it takes me every time. Mm -hmm. And it takes me there faster each time that it happens. Mm. Without my higher power, without my friends in recovery and without leaning on other people and my sponsor, I called Jeremy, I called my sponsor. Mike passed me on the highway and called me. I talked to my mom, I talked to Brianna. I mean, I mean, a couple of years ago, I would have relapsed. With little doubt in my mind, I would have relapsed. Yeah, it's amazing that you utilize your tribe and, and, you know, that people were there for you. And it's a lot of times we don't see that, but you, you saw it and you used it, so that's awesome. Um, last thing, I just want to know, what message of hope or inspiration would you give to those still suffering with addiction or maybe to the families of those still suffering with addiction? It's possible. And not only is it possible, it's actually probable if you do it. And it's as easy as doing it, but it's also as hard as doing it. It is difficult. It is uncomfortable work. But that's what you came to do. The uncomfortable work is essential, and it's way more comfortable than living in misery every day of your lives. It's just scary. Because the the brain craves knowledge and it craves understanding. So it's going to be inherently fearful of change and the unknown, both of which you're traversing in recovery. 
every single day because with each step you take into sobriety and each step you take in recovery, you're in uncharted territory. So you're always navigating the unknown and change, which is scary. But it's also a way better life. It's And you're worth it. I mean, I know that that's a saying that people use at nauseum, but you are. And it's it's not this big, scary monster that lives under your bed. It's not impossible to do. Life is way more fun without it. So the lies that you tell yourselves are scary. Um, and I know you believe them with all your heart. But there is a better life that awaits for you out there if you are able to engage a program and just work it to the best of your ability. Do the next right thing. It's as easy as that, and it's as hard as that. I dig it. When this episode drops... Next week. Next week. I'm going to play that last 90 seconds back for you and remind you of your fourth step. I'm going to remind you of everything you just said, and then I'm going to point you to your fourth step. Because I love you. And it's funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> everything you said was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. I wonder if I'll have it done before then. With that new pen, you should. Yes. Take your own advice. It I might, mean, the, yes. half of my fourth step just wrote itself. Thanks, tactile turn. <laughs> yes. Gold, dorks. Absolutely gold. Uh, but no, man, Casey, I just want to say, you know, you're, you're one of my best friends, and we all we all love you, and I'm really glad that you were here um, to share some, you know, experience, strength, and hope um, with all of us. Um, hopefully we can have you back soon, and we'll see how you're doing a little bit down the road. I'm not saying you can't do it on your own. I'm saying you don't have to. Love that. Absolutely. Derek, what you got? James 1-2. One of my favorite scriptures, and I want to share it. And I don't know why it did not just pop up. Give me one second. Find it pure joy in everything that you do. Be it troubles or anything, find it pure joy. Not happening. <laughs> First John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I, um, I, I want to thank you for coming on and doing this, and I'm, I'm glad I actually got to be here for this. Me too. Um, I, I, I hate this crap. Um, you were an integral, integral part in my sobriety because you were a coach there when I was in treatment and it's crazy. You have to look back on this and, and even Mike, both of you, I look back on this and this is nothing short of a God thing. I mean, everything that you did for me and then I got to do the 12 step and do it back to you. And now you continue to do that. And Mike's doing it too. And I just so, I'm so blessed to be a part of this journey with you guys. So, and on this spiritual journey that you guys are on and seeing that, you know, it's still haven't been to church with Mike yet, but Sunday, Sunday, <laughs> Sunday, because be every time I've, yeah. I've had some issues, but right. But, uh, but yeah, so I just, uh, I love you. I love you, brother. Love you too. And I love you, you too. Giggles. Love you. Love you. I know. Love you. Um, it's kind <laughs> of funny because yeah, Jeremy and I were both clients when Casey was our coach. Yeah. So it's kind of full circle. Yeah, and guess who doesn't have more sober time than they do now? <laughs> anyway, acceptance you know, is the answer to all our problems. The best lesson I ever learned in my life was that relapse. I mean, that shows yeah. a big thing, man. You fell, but you got back up. Yeah. And that's wow. a shout out to those out there listening. We fall sometimes. Mm. We really, it's really hard not to fall sometimes. We fall. But we can get back up, and there's always going to be someone there with their hand out to help, you know to help us get back up. Just get back up. Amen. Amen. For everybody here, don't forget to like, share, subscribe. We're on all podcast platforms. Don't forget your tactile turn as well. Enter sober fifteen. You will get fifteen percent off of your order. We will see you guys next week. Thanks, y'all. Peace. Love you guys.